Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halady, and the reason that I do these podcasts is that 32 and a half years ago, I was one mile away from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island when it happened. In the wake of Fukushima, this program is my citizen activist response to what's going on in the nuclear topic in the world and to lend my voice to the growing, growing, exponentially growing anti-nuclear movement worldwide. Today you're going to be hearing the nuclear news from the past week, holistic healing tips, and activist opportunities. And I'm very excited that I will be interviewing Jean Stone of ROSE, which stands for Residents Organized for a Safe Environment. He'll be bringing us up to date on the latest actions regarding the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station and the upcoming NRC hearings on relicensing San Onofre. In other words, a chance to convince the NRC to shut it down. Today is Tuesday, September 13, 2011, day 186 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th. Just over six months since the nightmare began, and we're still counting. Here is the latest nuclear news. Going to start out on a bright spot today, and that is the Coalition Against Nukes is holding a rally for nuclear-free for nuclear free energy on October 1st in New York City and nationwide. Listen up, because this is how you can participate in this growing movement. The one in New York is going to be a big one held Saturday, October 1st at Pier 95 in Hudson River Park, starting at noon and going until 3.30. Incredible lineup of speakers, including Dr. Helen Caldicott, um, anti-nuclear activist Harvey Wasserstein, Kevin Camps, from, uh, who's the radioactive waste watchdog at Beyond Nuclear. We interviewed him a few weeks ago on Nuclear Hot Seat. There will be representatives from the co-sponsors, Friends of Earth, New York Sierra Club, Greenpeace, Ralph Nader will be there. Positions for Social Responsibility. I mean, the list goes on and on beyond Nuclear, Nuclear Age, Peace Foundation, the good guys. Now, why this is important is because the health impacts of Fukushima are far from over. We are forced to watch Japan succumb to a growing medical and environmental catastrophe that will unfold for generations and may equal or surpass the damage of Chernobyl. Now, Fukushima has made it very clear what happens when backup systems fail, when governments withhold information, and when industry is in charge of safety. We all know that industry's first response is CYA, which stands for Cover Your Assets. Uh, they don't want their stock price plummeting quite as much as it has been. This is an opportunity for you, if you are not in New York and can't get to New York, to start an independent protest demonstration of your own, a consciousness-raising event, even if it consists of you standing on a local street corner with a sign standing on a soapbox and yelling, no nukes, radiation equals cancer. So if you want more information, we will be posting it on the Nuclear Hot Seat website, how you can click in, get all the information out of New York, and also find out how you can take part yourself. Now on to the uh, less pleasant nuclear news. And uh, for, go looking at the United States first, the North Anna nuclear reactor. This is the one that got, that was uh, very few miles, the exact number varies, but a very few miles, under 10, from the epicenter in Miracle, Virginia, of that quake that took place on the East Coast two weeks ago. Uh, it turns out that Nuclear Hot Seat scooped the L.A. Times with our story that, uh, in their headline, Quake Rock Nuclear Plant Beyond Its Limit. 
but it's great to see that the mainstream media is at least covering some of this, even if they did put it on the obituary page. Now, last week what I reported was that uh, the uh, that Dominion, the company that runs and operates uh, North Anna, was caught in a flat-out lie. In the wake of the quake, which originally was a 5.9, they were saying in all of their press materials that the uh, plant was built to withstand a 6.1. But as we pointed out last week, they had issued what they called the State of the Station report in March, right after Fukushima. And on March 28th, it was published that they were bragging about the fact that they were safe because their plant, which would never get an earthquake anyway, was okay. It was built to withstand a 5.9. Now, after the 5.9 quake, they were saying 6.1, 5.9. Now, this additional information, which came from reporter Melanie Mason of the L.A. Times, said that uh, the U.S. Geological Survey statistics show that the quake shook parts of the North Anna plant at rates equal to 26% the force of gravity. Now, the plant was designed to withstand jolts registering 12% the force of gravity for sections built on rock and 18% the force of gravity for sections built on soil. So the whole plant got rocked at 26% the force of gravity. I don't know about you, but if somebody tried to sell me a 25- to 30-year-old car that had been in an accident, I wouldn't want to buy it because we all know what happens to cars that have been in accidents, let alone cars that old. What makes us think that a nuclear reactor that's been through an accident like that, just the shaking, is going to have all of its parts lined up? Anyway, the NRC is doing studies. We will keep you up to date on what the results are that come from that. Now, uh, going on to Fort Calhoun, the NRC released a report rating the station as one of the two worst in the nation in terms of the plant's safety. Now, the U.S. has 104 licensed nuclear reactors, and Fort Calhoun is now in the bottom two. To put that in layman's terms, if they were to get a report on a report card, they would get a letter grade of D. No plants in the states have an F because an F would require the plant to be shut down immediately. This has to do with a a system they have called columns. Just think of it in terms of a letter grade like you got in school. Now, the NRC claims the plant needs improvements in two areas, one having to do with an electrical contractor contractor that failed and the other with flooding. Yeah, you think that's a problem? The, The river is still high there. Now, Uh, But despite the NRC's findings, of course, the chief nuclear power officer for Omaha Public Power District, Dave Bannister, is saying that all is good and they have fixed the problems. But Bannister also says that the NRC would have seen that they had made all the necessary fixes if they had been able to come out for their June inspection. But they couldn't come out for the June inspection because floodwaters from the Missouri River had risen to higher than the plain upon which the nuclear plant was built, and it was completely surrounded by water protected only by an inflatable berm, which deflated at one point. Now, the NRC agrees, listen to this, without the inspection, the NRC agrees that Fort Calhoun is operating safely. However, the station will need to work with NRC officials to prove that Fort Calhoun has fixed everything to get their their rating up, to get their grade up, you know, like the book report they need to do. So um, they have to have a meeting, but the meeting has not been rescheduled. The meeting hasn't been held. The NRC hasn't inspected like they would have last June because it was surrounded by water, and it still is. This is numbnuts territory. Okay, Connecticut. 
A water leak shut down Connecticut's Millstone reactor. First of all, I think that's one of the greatest names for a nuclear reactor there could ever be, Millstone. Uh, the reactor is in southeast Connecticut, and it was shut this past Saturday because there was a water leak, and they said that the leak exceeded the plant's specifications. The reactor remains shut down. Uh, the water that they're talking about is used to cool plant equipment, not the reactor, and is not radioactive in itself. Uh, there's no word on when the plant would return to service, and no word on if the plant equipment was not cooled, could that possibly lead to overheating of the nuclear plant itself. Here's a little bit of good news. Uh, now, the NRC, despite a divided vote last Friday, has allowed the, allowed, I love this, they've allowed the Obama administration to forge ahead in closing the Yucca Mountain nuclear waste dump in Nevada. Uh, the outcome, while not surprising, is a victory for both NRC Chairman Gregory Jasko and also President Obama, uh, who pledged to close the repository and uh, definitely took steps to go in that direction. Now, of course, House Republicans, just to be contrary about things, have launched a fierce investigation into the Obama administration's decision to shutter the dump, which is located 90 miles from Las Vegas. This is all politics. The uh, Yucca Mountain is right, oh, it has very porous ground underneath it, and it is directly above a major aquifer that provides water, drinking water, and irrigation water to the western United States. That's why it's being shut down. But meanwhile, House Energy and Commerce Committee Chairman Fred Upton, who is a Republican from, Mission, from Michigan, said this week that the Republicans' fall schedule will include, quote, its ongoing investigation into the Obama administration's politically motivated efforts to terminate the Yucca Mountain Nuclear Repository. If that doesn't sound like a Fox News, put the news in quotes, a Fox News talking point that has been programmed into that guy, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's political about protecting human life, especially here in the United States. Uh, but we'll just have to watch that story and see where that's going. Okay, well, I have a wonderful interview today. I'm very excited about this one, that we're talking with Jean Stone of Residents Organized for Safe Environment, or ROSE. Now, ROSE is a group based in Orange County where it is, quote, working for the good of the Mother Earth to provide a safe and clean planet for our children, grandchildren, and the seven generations to come. A wonderful sighting of Chief Seattle there. They are working to support ethical and environmental decisions for the future. And I would add to that that will guarantee that we human beings actually have a future. Gene, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. It's wonderful. If you could, if you're on a headset, if you could move it closer or if you could talk louder and ha make sure that the uh, receiver is close to your mouth so we can hear you. Okay. Okay. So, first of all, give us a little background on Rose. Uh, when was it founded, and um, what was your involvement in it at that time, or when did you join? Uh, well, I'm the founder of Rose in 1985. Uh, we were working in Kansas to stop the burning of polychlorinated biphenyls, uh, PCBs, the oil that were in the electric transformers, uh, which was the 27th pardon me, the 26th most toxic chemical man has ever created. And when it burns incorrectly at 40,000 degrees, meaning if it burns less than 40,000 degrees, it turns into dioxin gas, which is the most deadly chemical man has ever made. So that's how we started. 
And how did the group come to be, uh, it sounds like, are you based in Orange County, California, or is it just that you happen to be there and that's where you're operating out of? Well, we originally started in Kansas working in five different communities uh, to stop this company uh, from incinerating um, PCBs. But uh, my children and I moved to California in, in uh, 1987. And so we've been here ever since, and I've been working on water issues and uh, just passing out general information uh, to the public about uh, the dangers of nuclear power. Okay, so let's talk about San Onofre. It, you are in, or it is in your backyard down there in Orange County. These are the, the two nuclear reactors built five miles away from active earthquake faults directly on the ocean. Um, and these are aging plants. They were both started, one in uh, 1983 and one in 1984. Um, how did you get involved initially on the San Onofre issue? Well, I, like I said, initially I just was passing out information. Uh, when I was back in Kansas, I was working against the opening of Wolf Creek Nuclear Power Plant in Kansas, and then when I came out here, I decided to just keep passing on the information. I'd gathered a lot of information about nuclear power. So I was just passing it out to individuals one by one, uh, and uh, and that's really kind of how I got it started. And then when the uh, Fukushima accident happened, uh, a couple of other groups uh, that were working here in San Clemente, uh, uh, CREED, which is Coalition for Responsible Ethical Environmental Decisions, and San Clemente Green and Rose, we gathered forces to uh, start approaching the idea of, of informing the public on a larger scale, and uh, we gave the, a proposal to the city uh, to see if they would sign on to that, which would be to close San Onofre down until the lessons of Fukushima were clo uh, have been learned and applied. And they failed to do that, but Within that uh, context, we talked the city into calling for a meeting with the NRC, which they agreed to, which is happening on September 26th, uh, pardon me, September 27th at 6.30 p.m. here in San Clemente at the community center. So it's going to be an evening meeting. Um, let's talk a little bit about about some of the games that have been going on around that meeting. Wasn't there a, a an interference attempt uh, by the city, at least in terms of scheduling? Well, we had been calling for, and three, uh, four of the five city uh, city um, council called for a fair and balanced meeting. So all along, we had told them that we would bring. Uh, our own experts and our independent witnesses, uh, such as Arnie Gunderson, to, to the meeting uh, so that they could counter the information that the uh, NRC and California Edison would supply so that they, the citizens would have a fair and balanced uh, uh, way of approaching the information that they're receiving. Uh, and they all thought that was good, and then those, so the date was kind of up in the air because the NRC uh, kept saying they hadn't gotten an official letter, even though they had been sent one three times by the city. And they finally said, "Oh yeah, we got your letter. We'll come." <clears throat> and uh, 
So they wanted to know what the agenda was and who was on the agenda. So at that point is when the city asked who uh, we would be bringing. So when we told them, well, by the very next day, they couldn't meet the... You're uh, saying the they, the NRC? The NRC told the city manager that uh, that was a change in the agenda and that they couldn't come if they were going to change the agenda at the last minute. In other words, because you had such a strong lineup, Arnie Gunderson of um, uh, Fairwinds Associates, who's one of the the top people, he's a, he's a nuclear forensic specialist who goes in and figures out what happens after a nuclear accident. He can reconstruct that. He's been one of the best sources of, of information for all of us, honest information, grounded information uh, right. in the wake of Fukushima. Grounded in truth and and experience, and all, not only that, but he is a uh, an expert witness uh, to Congress on matters of nuclear uh, energy. So you had at least one really major hitter besides the other experts that you had lined up. Yeah, we had Professor Dan Hirsch. Oh, we've interviewed him here as well, and uh, he is he is one of the heavy hitters from uh, Committee to Bridge the Gap. So we had so then all of a sudden the next day the NRC could not meet that was the change of agenda which means they really could come so the city manager then uh, changed the concept of the meeting from one day to two days so now we've been banished to a far far away a t time uh, which we think although we haven't got an agreement about it yet which will be October the 11th. So instead of having the public hear both sides of the information on the same day to their convenience, considering that the NRC and the California Edison people would be getting paid to attend and citizens have to get there on their own, on their own time and so forth, now that we have to have two public meetings uh, to disperse the same information. So, we're so the one on the 27th is going to include Arnie Gunderson and Dan Hirsch? It is not. Oh, it is not. They will not meet with us if we change what they consider changing the agenda, uh, which is absolutely untrue. The, the city was aware. I can't speak for how the city informed the NRC, uh, but the plan was always to have uh, some speakers, of which we didn't tell them who they would be until they asked, and then all of a sudden we've got two meetings instead of one. So just for clarity's sake, if people wish to come and, and participate or at least witness this, you're saying that there are two separate meetings now? Yes, there is. And, uh, and Gunderson and Hirsch are or are not going to be appearing at all? Well, unfortunately, uh, Arnie's wife is... Uh, had some uh, medical issues, and he's probably not going to be able to attend, but he is, uh, he will probably, we're going to ask him our questions via uh, live Skype or either a video recording. We're not sure how that's going to work out yet, because first of all, the date is not confirmed to the second meeting as of yet, but we're going to videotape uh, the NRC and the California Edison part of the, uh, the meeting, and we'll then furnish that to Arnie so then he can uh, reply to 
the information that's been given. And that would be on the October 11th meeting? Yes. If, if indeed that turns out to be the day. Now, I want to roll this back a little bit because you said something very interesting. You made it sound like the talking points of the NRC and um, and the Edison companies, because it's both San Diego and Los Angeles um, that are involved that, that run San Onofre. You made it sound like they were on one side and we were the other. Is that accurate, or can you provide some clarity on it? Well, it seems to be the approach that they're taking. We were hoping to to uh, present all sides of the uh, information at the same time, so that the public could decide. Uh, but that's not going to happen. So apparently uh, the NRC and California Edison and the uh, California Emergency Preparedness people will be speaking at the first meeting, and as it stands now, we will be the only ones speaking at the second meeting, although it will be an official uh, city hall meeting, so all of the appropriate... uh, uh, regulations will be in, in place there as far as speaking and time and that sort of thing. So so we're we're thinking at this point um, that we'll have forty five minutes per speaker as is slated for uh the NRC and uh and California Edison and the preparedness people. They each have forty five minutes and then they we'll open it up to questions and answers. So yeah. What are you doing? I'm I'm looking at the NRC site right now, and I love that their motto is protecting people and the environment. Yeah. Um, What can be done to perhaps get some people with contrary opinions uh, in on the first meeting? Is there anything to be gained from that? Well, we think uh, what would be gained from that would be an informed public. Uh, but apparently they want you only to be informed from one point of view. So, you know, the the NRC, we have questions, serious questions about the NRC's ability. As a matter of fact, they're they're now being investigated. Three senators have called for the investigation of the NRC for being more of a lapdog than a watchdog. Mm -hmm. And I will be, I'm happy to say that Rose, uh, first called for an investigation at the NRC meeting on April the 18th in San Juan Capistrano. Uh, we thought they needed to be investigated for their uh, apparent uh, always changing of the regulations so that uh, plants meet the safety standards and stay open. Like you said, they get D's instead of F's when they deserve F minuses. Uh, so, but but apparently three Congress members uh, feel the same way, and they are now calling for an investigation. So we we hope that investigation uh, moves ahead quickly, because we think there are many many problems um, with the NRC's alliances, and we'd like to know more about those alliances because the Atomic Energy Commission, as you know, was split up. Uh, what was it, 1984? forget the exact date, Mm -hmm. into the Atomic Energy Commission and the uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. The the Atomic Energy Commission was supposed to be there to publicize and help uh, move forward in the future with good uh, nuclear projects, and the NRC was there to protect 
the public uh, around all the safety issues of operating nuclear power plants. And they seem to be acting in the way of keeping the power plants open, no matter what the circumstances are. I must say that since uh, this is the 14th nuclear hot seat that I'm doing, my response was also in the wake of Fukushima. And in that period of time, the number of times that the NRC has not been operating in what I would certainly consider to be the best interests of, of my physical being as a member of the public who's very close to two different nuclear reactors um, and it's been curious. It's been a growing concern of mine. So in terms of these uh, senators who want to do an investigation, if you could send that information on. Can you name the senators right now? Do you know who they are? Oh, you. If you don't, Gene. Too old get, to do that. Get, what? I'm too old to do that. <laughs> Well, here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to email that information or Facebook that information to me, and I will get it up both on uh, the Nuclear Hot Seat website and also on the Facebook page, because I think it's important that people know that there are some senators out there who deserve to have support for an investigation of the NRC. Uh, that strikes me as a, a very politically sound way for us to put some of our activist energy and maybe strategize some ways to build support for the senators. And if none of my senators happen to be in, involved with the investigation, write some letters and see what I can do to bring up the issue and get my friends to do so as well. Definitely. Yeah, Senator Boxer is definitely one of our senators that's calling for that. And uh, I will look up the other two. I, I have forgotten right at the moment. But the other thing that we really need to be in support of is uh, Senator Sanders from Vermont. I mean, he's brought up the whole question of whether, as states, do we have the right to say no to our aging nuclear power plants? And the answer to that is, of course we do. The NRC, by mandate, has the ability to relicense plants and, and to deal with safety issues. But they don't have the right to tell the states whether we want them or not. And so we should be able to shut down these aging nuclear power plants that are on fault lines uh, without any problem because under the st in the Fukushima report, uh, the near-term uh, report that came out. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have a copy. I just downloaded it today. Uh, for anybody who's interested, it is available on uh, nrc.gov. If you go down there, little flash animation, just click on button 5. It will get you there. You click on it. It will give you a download. Right. So at any rate, in that in that report, it states clearly that um, a majority of of what they what this report is talking about will be making recommendations and not making regulations. And the report goes on to say that instead of making any new regulations from the lessons learned from Fukushima, they're going to re uh, organize the regulations that they do have so that they're easier to read and understand. That's, so like, they, that's like shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly, you got, that's a great analogy. That's exactly what they're doing. Please use that. It's a, it's a cliche that's out there, but I think it correctly, you know, captures what it is that you just said to me. 
uh, and to all the listeners of the program as well, that, you know, if they are supposed to protect people and the environment, um, how do we fire them? Because it doesn't appear that they are doing their jobs. So it, it seems like making a stink against the NRC and at the same time not allowing them a free hand in continuing to allow these death trap dirty bombs to continue to exist in our backyards. I mean, if they want to put it in their backyard, that's fine, but I don't know how you transport a nuclear reactor to the, you know, the homes of wherever these numbnuts live. Yeah, pardon me, that's, that's technical languaging that I use on the program. Um, is there anyone on the, on the call who would like to ask a question of Gene? It's obvious that your, your information span is enormous on this. Anybody who uh, would like to ask him a specific question? I know you're lurking out there. Okay, we'll keep going. Gene, what can we do to support you in the work that you are doing, the really important work that you are doing down in uh, Orange County about regarding San Onofre and these upcoming hearings? Well, we'd love to see a large number of people show up uh, to the NRC meetings uh, and uh, you, you're going to have the option of coming in and listening to the same uh, presentation uh, because they don't do dialogue, they do presentations. And so it'll be basically the same presentation that they had on April the 18th with a few of the lessons learned from Fukushima. Uh, but you will so the NRC is going to be presenting, you're saying? They will be, yeah. They always do presentations. They. They don't do real discussions. They do questions and answers, but if you ask them something uh, that they don't want to answer, they tell you to sign up over here, give your name, address, phone number, email address, and we'll get back to you, which I've done on several occasions, and I've never gotten an answer or an email or a letter. But I'm sure that, that it would put you in line for an audit if they thought it was if they wanted to really harass you. Because then they would know exactly where to find you and all of your contact information. They wouldn't even have to Google it. Right. <laughs> uh, lots of things. Gene, a couple of other things. Um, what's your website? Where can we Where can we find you online? Well, online you can find me on Facebook under Residents Organized for a Safe Environment. Is it spelled out or do you do it as Rose? Uh, you spell it out and then put Rose at the end. Okay, but you can you can also look under Rose, but you might get a lot of people named Rose, so to to search for it that way. Yeah. And here's a question that I've been asking all of the uh, nuclear activists um, who have come on this program, and that is that you, me, we are dealing with very difficult, ultimate information every day, things that most people would rather not think about. How do you handle it? How do you keep going? What is it that you do to sustain yourself so that you can go and fight another day? Well, being uh, being part Native American, I, I draw on my culture to um, think about the seven generations to come. So my job as a human being uh, is to make sure that the place that I live is better than when uh, after I leave. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm trying to be involved on water issues, uh, genetic, genetically modified food issues, and the nuclear issues to make sure that the planet 
is uh, better when I leave than uh, when I got here. So that that's my job as a human being. That's the way I see it. So this is part of a, a spiritual fulfillment for you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'd put it that way, but it's part of my human experience that ah. I need to fulfill. You know, it's an obligation I have as a human being who walks on the earth and uh, and obtains all of my substance from this mother earth. All the food, all the water, everything here is what it takes for us to survive. And if we pollute all that, then not only will we not survive, but our species will not survive. Gene, I'm so gets out there too far. Pardon? There will, and if radiation gets spread out there too far at too high of a level, nothing uh, will survive except for the uh, stones and the rocks and the earth itself, and then it'll take a very long time for anything to come back from that. I've heard the cockroaches are pretty good with uh, radiation as well, but they're about the only the only animal that is. Uh, which means that that's a question as to whether members of the NRC would survive that kind of radiation as well. Gene, <laughs> uh, I am delighted to have had you on the show. I look forward to uh, speaking with you, and because we're both in Southern California, working with you quite often in the future. I do have every intention of being there on September 27th and recording some interviews. And um, just want to again thank Gene Stone of Rose, who is a veteran activist focused, for now, on anti-nuclear issues, especially as they relate to the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station in San Clemente. Gene, thank you so much. Thank you. And now we're going to continue with the nuclear news, uh, this time turning to Japan and Fukushima. Um, it has been found that the sea radiation at Fukushima is three times higher than estimated and increasing. Uh, this is from a report from Reuters, which is the one news agency that's been doing a bang-up job, pardon the expression, of covering the nuclear issues, that radioactive material released into the sea in the Fukushima crisis is more than triple the amount estimated by plant operator Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO. This is according to Japanese researchers. Uh, the TEPCO estimated that they had released 4,720 trillion becquerels of uh, radiation, cesium-137 and iodine-131, into the Pacific Ocean between March 21st and April 30th. But researchers at Japan Atomic Energy Agency put the amount at 15,000 trillion becquerels. Let's just say... 4,720 versus 15,000. In other words, three times the radiation. Uh, a researcher at uh, Japan Atomic Energy Agency said last Friday that the difference in figures was probably because his team measured airborne radioactive material that fell into the ocean in addition to material from contaminated water that leaked from the plant. Uh, in other words, TEPCO was cooking the books, only focusing on a very narrow portion of the radioactive uh, releases. Uh, this man, uh, this researcher at the agency, uh, Takuya Kobayashi, believes TEPCO excluded radiation that originally came from the airborne material. Oops! Now, I also wish to point out that they're just talking about the radiation release between March 21st and April 30th, which is just under six weeks. 
They don't mention what happened between the 11th and the 21st, meaning at the beginning of the accident, nor are there any figures for anything starting as of May 1st. Ah, the one piece of semi-good news out of all of this with TEPCO is that um, they announced that the temperature in the second of three damaged units has fallen below boiling point. However, as was pointed out in uh, Japan Times last week, this is an article uh, by Kazuki, I'm so sorry about the names, Kazuaki Nagata, that before the Fukushima crisis can be said to be contained, the holes and cracks from which water and fuel are escaping must be located and sealed. Makes sense. But this is extremely difficult and this task could take years because the radiation near the reactors is simply too high to let workers near them. The cracks and holes in the leaking reactors haven't even been pinpointed yet, let alone fixed. And uh, Shinichi Muruka, uh, a university professor and reactor expert, said, As an engineer, I am worried that the plan to let residents return when it is still unclear as to what's really going on inside the reactors is a bad idea. For the time being, TEPCO can only guess where water is leaking from and which parts need repair because radiation continues to prevent workers from fully exploring the buildings. Now, this tweet, uh, that it, this actually came through on three separate tweets that I've seen. But this past Sunday morning on NHK, that's the National uh, uh, Japanese Television Network, uh, NHK's Sunday debate program, Liberal Democratic Party Secretary General Nobutera Ishihara said, quote, Geiger's counters, Geiger counters costing between the equivalent of $500 and $600 provide patchy measurements. We have to try and stop citizens from taking their own radiation measurements. Huh? It seems that he really doesn't like the fact that citizens who don't have access to any official radiation readings because the government either isn't taking them or whatever they're taking, they're not releasing. Their objection to these people taking their own radiation readings is that it just might not be accurate. But even if the figures are patchy, as he said, the measurements will still tell correctly whether the radiation level is high or low. Meanwhile, in a related story, it's turning out that entrepreneurs are being very smart in Japan and video stores are now renting Geiger counters. That's right. You can take it home. Instead of watching your favorite video, you can watch the little numbers and hope that they don't go up too high. One final story from Japan, and this one really tears my heart out. Uh, several hundred Japanese seniors have volunteered to take part in the cleanup effort. They're basically begging TEPCO and the government to send them into the damaged nuclear reactors. Uh, the skilled veterans corps for Fukushima consists of more than 500 seniors, all retirees, who have signed up for a job that has been called courageous and suicidal. But according to uh, Kazuko Sasaki, a 72-year-old grandmother who is one of them ready to serve, she said, quote, my generation built these nuclear plants, so we have to take responsibility for them. We can't dump this on the next generation. Taking responsibility. The founder of Skilled Veterans is Yasutera Yamada, who is a slight, soft-spoken man of 72, a lymphoma survivor, who says that the near-death experience that he had from his lymphoma has shaped his desire to serve at Fukushima. 
an engineer who spent part of his life around industrial plants, or much of his life around industrial plants. Yamada says he and his retired colleagues quickly realized after the March 11 disaster that conditions in Fukushima were far bleaker than the government was letting on. And he decided to gather senior volunteers, he said, because, quote, it would be better to send men and women who have finished raising their families and are in the sunset of their lives rather than younger workers whose lives could be shut, cut short by extreme radiation exposure. We won't completely replace younger workers, he said, but for work that doesn't require brute strength, we can fill in where radiation is especially high. The government and TEPCO stand by basically committing genocide against their own population. And here are volunteers, and the government is saying no, but they're saying yes. We will sacrifice ourselves because it's the right thing to do. Unbelievable. Let's take a look at health. Uh, here's a report that, interestingly enough, appeared on August 16th of 2007 online uh, with Chemistry World News. And this was about radioactive from Chernobyl. And there was a report that they were talking about here that, uh, that Chernobyl impaired the mental development of Swedish children that were still in the womb at the time of the incident. Uh, that's a conclusion based on this new study by uh, U.S.-based researchers from Columbia University and a counterpart of theirs at Stockholm University in Sweden. The findings suggest that infants are endangered by radiation exposure at levels previously thought to be safe based on an analysis of the academic achievements of more than 560,000 Swedish children born between 1983 and 1988. The researchers found that academic performance was generally weaker in all children still in utero at the time of maternal exposure to Chernobyl fallout, and this effect was most pronounced for those, those fetuses at 8 to 25 weeks post-conception. This is the peak period of brain development when cells may be particularly vulnerable to being killed by radioactively low doses of radiation. So that's part of what the people of Fukushima and actually the rest of Japan have to look forward to. Then in an interview with Christopher Busby, who is a uh, professor from Scotland and an expert on health effects of ionizing radiation, um, they, he reported on a study on the effects of cesium-137 on children in Belarus after Chernobyl. And it was found that children with just 20 to 30 Becquerels, remember we were talking earlier about trillions of Becquerels, uh, but 20 to 30 Becquerels of cesium-137 per kilogram suffered cardiac arrhythmia, meaning the heart was not beating properly. And these children were suffering heart attacks and dying at very high rates of heart disease. They were manifesting a heart disease of the kind that is usually found only in old people. Now, heart cells are non-replaceable. Only 1% of heart cells get replaced in a year. So that's not, it's not a terribly effective regenerating organ. Cesium-137 goes to muscle. So it concentrates in the muscle tissue of the heart where it cannot be repaired and it cannot be ejected. And it seems from what people have been telling me, meaning uh, uh, Christopher Busby, Professor Busby, from people who have been telling him in Fukushima that... Um, Children, that uh, children are actually suffering heart attacks. Uh, this is anecdotal, but it's coming from a very good source, and I do not doubt it. 
Um, now, post-Chernobyl, Belarus showed an increase in cancer, but an enormous increase in heart disease. So that's another thing to we have to um, look forward to finding out about, because the children who were most of the children who were in utero, and certainly those conceived after Chernobyl, uh, excuse me, after Fukushima, have not yet been born. Now, I always like to include some holistic health information, and this one comes from a very elaborate um, uh, and highly intuitive, if you want to find your way around it, website called IndianInTheMachine.com. Native American man who does a lot of work on holistic healing. And uh, I'll post a link on the Nuclear Hot Seat website. But there is a recipe that he posts for the ultimate smoothie. This is what he's calling it. The ultimate smoothie to detox from radiation and other toxins. Uh, it includes unhulled hemp seeds, spirulina, fruit uh, sweetener, um, anti-parasite herbs, a blood cleaner, colloidal silver, and pure water. All of it in a blender, and you can use it to wash down the rest of your vitamins. Like I said, uh, if you want to try and poke around, it's a very confusing website. Very elaborate, very confusing. Indian in the machine dot wordpress.com or indianinthemachine.com but I will post a direct link to the smoothie recipe should you decide to try it because we all have to keep our health absolutely as high as we can because we are getting toxed there is radiation coming over from Fukushima it's not stopping anytime soon because they're burning the nuclear waste which just re-releases into the air all of the uh, radiation and toxicity so we need to keep our health high and that's really important so finally, for those of you in Los Angeles, I will be doing the first public reading of my one-woman show, Anti-Nuke Presents My Nuclear Nightmare, uh, excuse me, My Nuclear Meltdown, change the name, on September 22nd at Coffee Fix in Valley Village. I will also have that up on the various sites. Uh, Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page uh, will give you an invitation to it. There will be many more presentations, so if you can't make it now, don't worry about it. And this is a show that's meant for consciousness raising and fundraising for anti-nuclear groups. So it will be touring around, hopefully, to a neighborhood through yours. Last thought for the day. This is a really important quote that I found courtesy our friends at NIRS, N-I-R-S, which stands for Nuclear Information and uh, Resource Service. Uh, Admiral Hyman Rickover is considered to be the father of the nuclear navy and uh, also behind the Shippensport nuclear reactor. At the end of his life, near the end of his life, in January of 1982, he testified before Congress and he was talking about the hazards of nuclear power, and what he said is the following quote. I'll be philosophical. Until about two billion years ago, it was impossible to have any life on Earth. That is, there was so much radiation on Earth, you couldn't have any life, fish or anything. Gradually, about two billion years ago, the amount of radiation on this planet, and probably in the entire system, reduced and made it possible for some form of life to begin. Now, when we go back to using nuclear power, we are creating something which nature tried to destroy to make life possible. Every time you produce radiation, you produce something that has a certain half-life, in some cases for billions of years. I think the human race is going to wreck itself. It is important that we get control of this horrible force and try to eliminate it. I do not believe that nuclear power is worth it if it creates radiation. Then you might ask me, why do I have nuclear-powered ships? That is a necessary evil, 
I would sink them all. Admiral Hyman Rickover, changing his mind late in life. So doing the nuclear math, uh, Chernobyl was encased in a sarcophagus by day 10 of it after its explosion. So going by length of time at all, alone, we are on day 186 for each of the three melted-down nuclear reactors at Fukushima. Multiply 186 by 3, and you get 558 nuclear leakage days since Fukushima began. That's over a year and a half of nuclear leak days. If you divide Fukushima by Chernobyl, you get the equivalent of 55.8 Chernobyls. And it isn't over yet. So if people try and say to you, gee, do you think Fukushima is as bad as Chernobyl? Oh, it's so much worse, and it's not going away anytime soon, unfortunately. So this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, September 6th, excuse me, for Tuesday, September 13th, 2011. You can find us and links to previous programs and the recording of this program by going to nuclearhotseat.com or on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page. You can just go in and like us and friend us and all that stuff. We're also up on iTunes, Nuclear Hot Seat, under the podcasts, and you can subscribe for free so you never need miss a single update. This is Libby Halevi of Heart of Street Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, don't go back to sleep. See you back here next week. Take care. Be well. Bye-bye.